Hey there, before we get started, just want to let you know today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter, helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members. Breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action. Goldinvestmentletter.com Will earnings provide a catalyst for the stock bulls? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Katie Stockton, founder and managing partner of Fairlead Strategies. Hi, Katie. Welcome back. Hi, Maggie. Good to be back with you. Same here. So I want to dive right in with equities because, you know, we saw them trading for most of the day um, in the red. They managed to turn it around late in the session, um, which just just ended, uh, and close in the green. But, you know, for most of the day, they were kind of dragging, but... I heard a lot of analysts making the bull case today. You know, Bank of America noting that the earnings season is off to its best start in a decade. Fund trust Tom Lee, who granted is kind of a perma ball, but he said it's beginning to feel like a bull market. I don't know. How are you feeling about the S&P 500, um, Katie, where we're sitting? What are your thoughts? You know, I, I look at strictly technicals, right? So for me, it's almost math. And I'm, I'm looking at technical indicators. I'm looking at key levels. And until those indicators sort of give me the weight of the evidence that we have a bullish reversal, I'm not quite there yet, but we're actually pretty close to it. So it's interesting. There's some very key levels that are pretty much in play right now for the major indices. And some of the market internals are getting more conducive, but at the same time, we have some extremes that would suggest that it won't continue. So we want to be really respectful of the indicators when we feel like we have somewhat of an emotionally charged tape. And I think that's Mm -hmm. part and parcel with all of the news out there, the fact that now we have earnings season upon us and, and folks are having to digest that news of which I think some could speculate won't be great news for those individual stocks collectively, especially following a nice up move off of the mid-March low. We've we've had good short-term upside momentum, and now the major indices are at this proving ground. We are watching as our key level for the S&P 500. It's about 4,155. In fact, I can show you if I can share. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, if we're at a key point, what should we be watching? Yeah, so I would say that this this 4155 level, it's not a level that necessarily would be widely followed. Um, hopefully you can see my screen here. Mm-hmm. We can. With the arrow pointing, notice there's a shaded area on the chart, and that shaded area represents the cloud model. It's also called Ichimoku. It's a great way to understand the prevailing trend and then also support and resistance levels. You can see based on the cloud itself and the trajectory and the fact that price is below it, it's a downtrend still based on this model, but it's also very close uh, to current levels. So what we would need to see to reverse the downtrend based on this one model in particular would be consecutive weekly closes above that 4155 level. So that's really what we've been looking for to signal a breakout. Um, Otherwise, I think we can say that the market has really been range bound. So people feel really good when you're getting the short-term upside, but they also feel really bad when you're getting the short-term downside. And the end result has really overall been somewhat neutral from an intermediate-term perspective. 
Now, are you feeling, I love the idea of a proving ground, by the way. I mean, it does, that seems very appropriate. Is this a short-term situation and a long-term situation or because we're in a proving ground, you're really only wanting to think about the short-term here because we may see a trend change? Yeah, the trend change would actually be more intermediate to long-term in nature. You know, we believe and have believed all along that this is still a secular bull market going back to the 09 lows. That's actually dictated by the monthly cloud model, which has always been pointing higher. Uh, but that monthly cloud is starting to kind of um, not roll over, but certainly neutralize in terms of its slope. So if we were to see a breakout, we would say, well, it would bode well for the next few months for the S&P 500 without really actually making any comment on the short term. And that can be frustrating because you want to typically act right away in a breakout, but it's often uh, more prudent to wait for the first pullback after that breakout to add exposure because you can pick up some of those securities a little bit lower, perhaps even than the breakout point. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily feel the need to chase a breakout breakout, but it would certainly improve the posture of the market for the next few months. We have an environment that is, uh, you know, sort of mixed in terms of the macro takeaways. We have treasury yields that look like they should correct more. So that means sideways to lower in the coming months. But beyond that, uh, we think that the sort of new secular shift that we've seen in treasury yields will continue and resume. So it's a more challenging environment when, for equities in particular uh, when you keep that in mind. And I think it's not accidental that we're seeing rotation in the likes of gold with that you know, sort of shift in yields that we've seen. Yeah, I, I want to dive into some of those other asset classes. But first, before we get there, it's one of the things we heard over and over again in this sort of transition period, a lot of people being, you know, talking about being stuck in the chop, you know, and hard to figure out what comes next, knowing that maybe something's going to give, but was, you know, listen, keep your powder dry, stay in cash. Does that, is that still the, 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 the something you favor in this environment based on what the charts are telling you? Like what should investors do against this backdrop? I think where we see positive catalysts, we can act on them. Um, so you do want to have some cash, of course, available to do that. And for us as technicians, positive catalysts can come in the form of breakouts. They can come in the form of momentum buy signals. We use the MACD indicator, very popular tool for that. So momentum sort of signals or crossovers in this MACD indicator can be a good catalyst as well. We'll look for oversold upturns to trigger uh, entry points. But we haven't seen a whole lot of those collectively, at least intermediate term, not yet at least. So we are generally in this environment still comfortable with more risk off leaning exposure. And that wouldn't just include cash in our work. It would also include things like treasuries and gold. Uh, so we do feel like there's alternatives right now that, that are a little bit more convincing um, in terms of their intermediate term prospects. Um, but if the market proves itself and breaks out and we see more of these positive catalysts, we will want to be ready to put some more money to work. I, I think this range that we've seen has created the, the max amount of frustration because <laughs> a range-bound environment doesn't really allow you to make money over any duration on the long or short side. You have to really be forced to become more short-term, which is, of course, more difficult in terms of market timing. Whereas a trending tape, whether it's up or down, is actually a little bit easier to navigate typically because at least you can assert more of a directional position. Yeah, you 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 
hit the nail on the head. Frustration is certainly what a lot of people are feeling right now. Not only do do are we range bound, but we have a really huge range of opinions, right? I mean, we have, you know, people that I mentioned, like Tom Lee arguing the bull case. You have plenty of other people who are still really concerned, really concerned about the threat of recession. So Raul recently sat down with Michael Howell, CEO of Cross Border Capital. A lot of our members were asking for the two of them to have an in-depth conversation. And they talked about their outlook. Michael, of course, tracks liquidity. Um, and he sort of expressed and gave some reasoning why he thinks the downturn in the economy is going to be manageable. Let's have a listen to that clip. What you're seeing right now is that equities are climbing a wall of worry. Okay. But that's always the case, is it not? People are trying to trying to project, you know, the next recession, how deep it's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. But the equity markets seem to be looking through that. Now, what I would say is that all the work that we do on fixed income and we, you know, from uh, from our analysis, we look at liquidity, we see how that affects fixed income. Fixed income markets, you know, they, they don't lie very much. They're, there's, a, there's a lot of truth in what fixed income markets are really saying at any one time. And what the fixed income markets, in my estimation, are telling us is there is a bottom in the US economy around about the mid-year, okay? I'm not saying the economy avoids a recession, but it's probably gonna be quite shallow in my view. And one of the reasons I think it's shallow is that if you look at the yield curve, which everyone now quotes as uh, as a sort of the, uh, the signpost to deep recession, the yield curve is hugely biased by these negative term premia. Now the term premia are nothing to do with economic expectations or rate expectations, it's to do with a shortage of collateral. So what they're really telling us is more about potential financial fragility than real economic fragility. And so in my view, you're going to get this shallow bottom in the economy around about the middle of the year. Um, And if that's correct, uh, stock markets, in my experience, tend to discount, what, about six months ahead. So the rally we've been seeing since the beginning of the year seems pretty much on track as far as I can see. And that full conversation is available on our website. It was a fantastic discussion about the role of liquidity and and what it how it how it's working. Um, I encourage you to check it out. If you're not a member, click the QR code or hit the link in the chat to find out how you can join. A real masterclass from those two. So, Katie, um, where are we with market sentiment? I mean, Raul and Michael both feeling, I think it's fair to say, bullish based on what they're seeing with liquidity, or at least having feeling like equities have probably put that low in in October. But what is the market? What is market sentiment, the broader market sentiment? It's actually really interesting because just like the major indices, we have sentiment at a bit of a critical juncture on the chart. So I think this week, in fact, will be very telling as it pertains to market sentiment, which we measure multiple ways. You can always take an investor poll for one. So people might be saying right now, well, sentiment seems so bearish out there. Well, it's not really scientific, right? So so we like to hear about the polls, uh, but we like to more than just to know what people are thinking. We like to know what they're doing. And you can see that in some of the transactional gauges of market sentiment. And those show that bullishness is actually running quite high. Uh, If you look at something like the fear and greed index, it's not at an overbought or sort of overly bullish extreme, uh, but it's getting close to that level. And that's just been instilled by, I'd say primarily the action in the mega caps more so even than the major indices, which remain below um, their sort of early Feb highs. 
Um, and then, you know, to me, the VIX, the volatility index is a really great transactional gauge of sentiment that is at very depressed levels below, I think, 17 when I last looked at it. And this is the key juncture that we're referencing in our work, and, and we've been referencing it for a long time to say that if support for the VIX is taken out decisively, which it has the potential to do literally in the coming days, that would suggest that there's been a pretty major shift in market sentiment, meaning that we've gone from what we consider to have been like a high volatility regime based on the VIX, where there were sort of higher highs and higher lows and at an elevated support level. Whereas for um, a lower volatility regime, we'd expect that support level to be even south of 15, perhaps, maybe even closer to 11 or 12. So if we see a decisive breakdown as of the VIX action this week, we would suggest that that's actually a market bullish development because the VIX holds an inverse correlation to the S&P 500, which, as you just saw, was challenging some resistance in line. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Mm, that's real. That is really interesting. So I want to you mentioned that that some of that mega cap tech, right? And not, not only were people feeling bullish, is good reason. If you were holding some of those stocks, that had tremendous gain. If you look at what NVIDIA did, for example, or some of the other names. So if you're looking at a sector, I know you you sort of have a grid where you look at sectors and you know you have an overweight, underweight um, on them or neutral status. What sectors look attractive to you right here? Are you overweight anything? Um, yeah, so, you know, in our ETF, we hold still the energy sector. So if I had to say positioning, I would refer to that. And um, that's very simply because the energy sector was the only one. I'm going to share my screen here. You can bear with me. Uh, it, it was the only sector that maintained its long-term uptrend. And yet, um, you know, there are sectors that you can see relative performance likely to come from. I, I hope you can see this. Yeah, uh, we can. This is the, the S&P 500 sectors in what we call a relative rotation graph. This is a sort of a third-party service that we subscribe to. And you'll notice there's rotations. And if we were to animate this chart, it would move in a clockwise manner. And when something's pointing up and to the right, that tends to reflect our performance, right? So you see communication services, consumer discretionary, and technology there. This is a long-term view. It's showing six months of trailing history. So those are the best position sectors here for, I'd say, between now and year-end are the implications. Mm. However, if we take that and we drill it down into a weekly view, meaning it more of like an intermediate, short to intermediate term view, you'll see that it changes and a lot. It changes a lot where you actually have consumer staples, utilities, healthcare as having those similar and best trajectories. Uh, so to us, that's an issue. I mean, that that reflects potential for defensive sectors to outperform the S&P 500 over the next, I'd say, six to eight weeks. And that's so interesting. That, if we look at that chart, Katie, I love this chart. I don't think we've seen, we've, we've, we've pulled this up when we've spoken before. What's happening, one has to ask, with the blue and green? <laughs> it looks like they're heading in the wrong direction. Yeah, it's based on where they've come from, how they're colored. So anything that had been moving to the right had outperformed. And this is the crosshairs represents the S&P 500. So if you think about 
the x-axis as being relative performance and the y-axis as being the momentum of that mm -hmm. relative performance. Uh, where you have the biggest opportunity is when you have the upward trajectory, so you're already kind of moving this way, and you move into this improving quadrant, and the colors will ultimately change from purple and blue to green. Um, and, you know, where you want to be still underexposed, and this is with an intermediate term time horizon in our work, would be what you're seeing down here. So financials mm -hmm. and real estate, especially, even to a lesser degree, uh, materials, industrials, Energy has taken a wrong turn over the past week, uh, somewhat surprisingly, uh, but you can see how deeply oversold it could be considered. So we have these rotations that we can take advantage of, uh, but we also had to really have a, um, good attention to the multiple timeframes because you saw the six month view was sending a much different message than this sort of six to eight week view. That's so interesting. And I think that really it, it is a good sort of, a, you know, little slice of why it's so difficult for people right now, because you have that big difference once you change that time frame. And we always talk here and in the academy and a lot of the tutorials we have, we always talk about identifying your time frame whenever you're talking about something as being so critically important. So I'm curious with financials, of course, we are we know what we just went through with the regional banks. We're heading into a big earnings period. We've got some really big names coming out. Um, does that just look like something that you really want to be underweight right now? You know, the financial sector, it's so interesting because it actually broke down in relative terms before we got the breakdown in the regional bank stock. So we saw that relative performance deteriorate ahead of the breakdowns, which is why in part we we focus on relative performance so much because it can actually get this leading indication of what's about to happen in absolute terms. We, of course, saw significant underperformance on the back of that relative and absolute breakdown. Now, to the extent that the financials can be considered oversold, they're oversold in relative terms, but they're not really showing much of a reaction to that. And so that for that reason, we're just happier being on the sidelines. So we are underweight the sector. Uh, if we were to see some reaction to oversold, there might be a trade there, meaning just a phase of short-term relative performance to take advantage of. But I would say, given how deeply oversold they are in relative terms and the lack of a reaction on the back of that reading, it uh, just tells us to respect the downdraft for what it is and, and wait for at least some stabilization to suggest that they're ready to outperform. Uh, I've got a, we're, we're having a very funny and very smart, as usual, discussion on our chat. Um, we have a lot more technicians in the room, uh, Katie, than, uh, than I would have imagined. And someone asking, I think Ralph brought it up, um, about uh, a technical analyst noted the NASDAQ generated a Kapak curve buy signal at the end of March. Is that an indicator you follow? If so, can you discuss it a bit? And then a bunch of other viewers came on and said it's not very reliable or it tends to signal late. Is, is this something that you use in, in your work, Katie? It's not. I don't use that indicator, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. There, there's just so many indicators out there, right, that we can reference. And I, I think that as long as it's not something that's sensationalized, something perhaps like the Hindenburg Omen um, that really doesn't have a great sample size, um, there's usually some validity to it. Um, but I, I always defer to momentum above all. I think that the momentum gauges are the best at uh, keeping us on the right side of the prevailing trends. Again, Maggie, we get into that challenge of making sure that that's, uh, the attention is paid across timeframes because the trends can be different over uh, different timeframes. Uh, but from a long-term perspective, uh, 
we've seen momentum go from pretty strongly to the downside last year to what I'd say is much less to the downside, but it's still not yet to the upside. So we don't have that affirmation from the long-term momentum gauges yet that the market has seen a turnaround. We're reading the same sort of anecdotal evidence. I think there was another uh, sort of flurry of, of chatter around something about the if we we're above the December low by this time in the year, that, that tends to be bullish. Those phenomenon, um, you know, as long as they have some statistical significance, I, I certainly make a note of them. Uh, but to me, it, it's not, uh, it's somewhat high risk to invest just on a seasonal influence because there are times at which those seasonal influences break up and they can do so pretty dramatically. So that's why I think momentum uh, is what I gravitate towards. We have someone asking um, about healthcare as well. They're asking any subsector of healthcare that you get in or add a position. I'm not sure that you um, look at it at, at that level, but I know that healthcare is a sector I think that you like, right? Are you overweight? Are you recommending overweight healthcare? We are overweight healthcare and not with a, a long-term time horizon, but with that intermediate term time horizon that, that was supported by those rotational graphs that we just looked at. We just featured the healthcare sector. We rotate each sector through our sector report once a week, and we just completed the healthcare sector. And we feel pretty confident that there are some opportunities there. Our bottom-up work showed far more opportunities that we felt like had those positive catalysts, you know, in, in the form of breakouts or MACD buy signals. We, we discovered quite a few of those, and um, you know, it's also a, a more defensive-leaning sector. So with the rotations favoring that, we felt like we have one of really kind of the best sectors to take advantage of over the next maybe six to eight weeks or so. Uh, on the group level, I think it was sort of the healthcare services that were looking most compelling to us. We also had some great action in the pharmaceuticals, Eli Lilly for one, uh, but they are looking a little bit tired from a short-term perspective. So I'd be looking for sort of emerging signals, stocks that are just starting to advance from support or from oversold territory. Mm. And I just want to round out, um, William asking, where do we hide? Before we move into other asset classes, utilities is the other that's overweight for, that you have an overweight on, correct? We are, yes, we are overweight utilities. And again, with that same time prize. And so really more of a, a six to eight week type of view as opposed to six to eight month type of view. Uh, so we are comfortable with that sector in relative terms in part to take advantage of the relatively oversold condition, which also affected energy, of course. Uh, but in terms of where to hide longer term until the market really is convincingly out of this bear market cycle, which could happen quickly, but it could, of course, be delayed by that defensive sector rotationing and, and a pullback. So for now, we are comfortable hiding in other asset classes. I think gold is, is a great example of that. Gold, we suspect, will be at new all-time highs this year with, with good momentum and just a brand new long-term momentum signal there, buy signal. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're following the monthly MACD, that's what I would encourage you to look at because that has turned after being, uh, you know, sort of negative or deteriorating for about two years. Um, I, I'll have to give a plug for my ETF, the fairly. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. You yes. mentioned it before. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Tell us how to find it. To. Yeah. The ticker is TAC or TACK. And we feel it's a great place to hide as well. And, and we say that because it has the ability to move more risk off and the market dictates it in terms of long-term momentum. So it's a long-term strategy 
conservative, but designed to avoid these big downdrafts that we have. And it currently has positions not only in energy, but it has a gold position, a position in short-term treasuries and also long-term treasuries, which if you look at their charts in relative terms, they certainly improved this year versus equities. And they appear to be in at least sort of trading ranges on improved momentum that we think will stick with them for a few months. And then perhaps uh, we'll move into more of a risk on position. When you're when you're talking about energy, Katie, are we talking about broadly? Are we are we focused on oil and that gas? Is it spread across the energy complex? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, right now it, it is spread across the complex, but it isn't always that way. Um, you've seen probably a chart of natural gas futures and boy, I mean, they, they've really been under pressure and, and I think sub two as of late. So uh, that downtrend has largely been something that we would have wanted to avoid, but then we got these counter trend signals that are short to intermediate term in nature behind natural gas. So now our bullish sort of take on crude oil, which we've held uh, recently, is now being enhanced by the potential for a greater relief rally or oversold bounce from natural gas. So we, we don't think that there needs to be, I'd say, much discrimination in the energy sector as to what you're choosing, uh, you know, sort of on the individual stock level that there's opportunities across the board. But I'd be looking for stocks that haven't run up super sharply of late and because some of them are looking a little bit overstretched. And many of them do have still a good deal of resistance. And I think that's the challenge with the energy sector is that with the, the sort of loss of long-term upside momentum that hasn't yet led to a lot of breakdowns, there is resistance that a lot of these stocks has to contend with, have to contend with. And also crude oil has resistance of its own in the low 90s per barrel. So we'll see how it acts there. Fantastic. Um, if if Brian or someone could drop the ETF info in the chats, that would be great because we have a couple of people asking. Um, I, I've got a couple of great questions as well, but I do want to get to currencies because we have two of those. Uh, first question um, from Max. Please ask Katie if she thinks DXY is bottoming, heading to 110. Yeah, if I if you can allow me to pull up the chart here. Yeah, go ahead and, and do that. And we'll we'll put any any anytime you want any information, by the way, um, just feel free to ask a question in the chat. Um and and the team will help get you a link or answer um anything that you need um when yeah. we uh so that um, you can so, look it up afterwards. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Katie. You can see this. Um so this is a monthly bar chart of the dollar index, and you can see Here's the uptrend, and it's largely been uh, given back, right, with the corrective phase or downtrend that we've seen over the past few months. Uh, the monthly gauges would suggest that we don't have a bottom in place. And if you notice, this is the monthly stochastic. It had upheld this overbought reading for some time and now is pointing lower, still with room to oversold territory. And even worse, we have this sort of new monthly MACD sell signal. And what that means is that the dollar now has downside momentum from a long-term perspective. It, it, of course, tells us that with the lag, having peaked but not crossed over until recently. But it does suggest that there could be a little bit more shelf life to this downdraft that we've seen. And then intermediate term, some support was taken out so that you saw the 41.55 level with the weekly cloud on the S&P 500. Notice that the dollar index has taken out that support. So we think it has uh, some more work to do before putting in a long-term bottom. And at a very minimum, we would wanna see that improvement 
in the monthly stochastic. So this would be our first indicator to turn to suggest that we do have a bottom in place and that would, with the dollar index, be primarily against the euro. One thing I have to say, Katie, I love when you put your charts up because for someone, I am not an avid technician. I always feel like I can follow them. I really appreciate that. Um, so we have a question about Bitcoin as well. Great. And so Bitcoin, we just finished writing it up, in fact, and we actually had a, a base breakout in Bitcoin. And, and here, too, I can show you the chart. It, it was really um, somewhat surprising to me that we saw that because we didn't have a real risk on environment um, inequities at the time. So uh, that was surprising to me, but we want to respect the breakouts when they do occur. Um, so I'll show you what that looks like. And the breakout, um, if you see here, this is this is our monthly chart. The, the breakout showed a reaction to a long-term oversold reading. So that's what drove this upturn in the stochastic. So that would be perceived as a bullish development. However, uh, notice that it's not in the clear from a long-term uh, perspective yet. It still has this overhang of resistance. That's as high as uh, close to 36,000, though. So, so you could see intermediate-term upside follow-through within the context of what is really now sort of more of a neutral setup in uh, from a long-term perspective between the cloud, sort of the overhang of that resistance, and then also the fact that we don't have a momentum buy signal. Um, so, so not quite out of the woods yet from a long-term perspective, but that intermediate term base breakout does suggest that there is room for follow-through in the coming months for Bitcoin. Uh, the short-term setup, however, we just highlighted, at, this is more in Ether, and, and I can actually pull that up too. In the Ether chart on the daily, we have a short-term overbought sell signal that would suggest that we receive a pullback. And that looks like right here, we have a, a well, it's about to pull up. The short-term overbought is enhanced by the DeMarc indicators for those who follow them. And that would suggest we see a two-week pullback. So we're not rushing to add exposure. Fantastic. One one quick question. Someone's asking if you, I lost it. So my apologies. Um, TC, curious if you use derivatives at all. Personally, I, I do not. I think technical analysis is a great way to enhance a derivatives trading strategy. And in fact, I've always sort of worked closely over the course of my career on Wall Street with derivatives strategists. Uh, they're always looking for a directional bias and sort of an unbiased approach is very suitable to that kind of uh, disciplined investing that tends to you know, be characterized by those strategies. So a lot of our clients do, and we help them with directional biases and timeframes and levels and things of that nature. But personally, I, you know, get too distracted by them. Um, you know, you really have to be an expert, not in just technical analysis in order to succeed because there's so much more to them. Um, so I focus primarily on individual equities and ETFs. Fantastic. Katie, this was so great. Give us so much good food for thought as we approach what's going to be a really busy week and we're going to start seeing those earnings come in. And I think that time frame, um, if I'm taking away anything from this, I think time frame is really important when you're asking anyone or listening to anyone, make sure you're understanding what time frame they're talking in, because it sounds like there are two very different stories going on um, for the That's very right. short term. And, and for the more intermediate. Um, great stuff. Thank you all for the fantastic questions as always. Uh, amazing the knowledge uh, in this in this RV hive mind. Uh, we will be back same time tomorrow, but it's going to be a special edition Real Vision Daily Briefing. Raul is going to be here solo. <laughs> We're letting him loose for an AMA. Ask him anything live. You can email your questions in. Uh, look around. Um, 
you'll see some information on how to do that ahead of time, or you can try to get the chat. But I warn you, that chat is crazy. So come ready. Um, but it's going to be fantastic. And you br- can bring all the questions we didn't get to, roll them up on that. Um, and you can, uh, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. We never know what Ralph's going to talk about, but we're looking forward to it. So please join us then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, the Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter, helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members, breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action, goldinvestmentletter.com.